Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys can have a seat. Praise God that he's reaching people from every tribe and tongue, even here in Omaha. Isn't that fantastic? Well, hey, church, good morning. I'm Cameron, in case you've forgotten about me. I've had a crazy last couple of weeks, one of the pastors here, but it is a joy to be with you this morning. I'm going to preach a message from Matthew 13, 1 through 23. We can't hit every verse in this parable. And it's a sermon that I'm calling Kingdom Listening. Kingdom Listening. So I wonder this morning, have you ever missed an appointment or a significant event in your life because you failed to listen well? So a few years ago, I traveled to India to visit seminaries to try to recruit students to partner with my church to reach unreached people groups, unreached Muslims in India. And it was a grueling trip, hours of travel, meetings, preaching, vision casting, And what made the trip so challenging, even more challenging, was the fact that all of my luggage got left in Dubai. So imagine how awkward this is. The first thing I do with that Indian seminary president, we go to the Indian market so I can find underwear to wear for the week. And he was literally sizing them up on me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into here? But I digress. So after hours of traveling home, successful mission trip, we finally make it to Houston Only one leg left until I'm finally back. I had an hour layover. I had some of those Bose noise-canceling headphones. They're worth it, by the way, every penny. I was watching a basketball game, and then suddenly I start noticing there's nobody around me that was waiting on the plane. And I get up in a panic, and I notice the door's shut. And I said, ma'am, I've got to get on that plane. I'm exhausted. I'm still in my Indian tidy whities I've got to get out of here. I've got to get back to... Uh, my city. And she says, sir, it's too late. We've announced your name for over 30 minutes. The door's shut, but you weren't listening. Again, the headphones work real well. Bo should give me an endorsement this morning. But City Light, it's one thing to be left off a plane for failing to listen, but this is a serious message. It's infinitely more serious to be left out of the kingdom of God for failing to listen. And that's really what the parable of the sower is all about in Matthew 13, 1 through 23. It serves as a warning. And here Jesus makes it emphatically clear, this big idea. We enter the kingdom of God by simply listening and responding positively to the gospel. It's a simple message. We enter the kingdom by listening and then responding positively to the gospel. So here's what's happening to warrant this parable from Jesus this morning. We've been seeing that the kingdom of God is bursting onto the scene of human history. Christ comes teaching in authoritative ways. He has authoritative actions, yet things were not shaping up like the disciples had hoped for. Remember just last week we saw that he had opposition from the religious leaders and even people in his own family. So what's happening is Christ is not meeting their expectations. Many people were outright rejecting Jesus. Others were only casually following him. And so this reception, you can imagine, left the disciples incredibly puzzled. And so he uses a story, a parable about sowers, seeds, soils, to teach them and us about the nature, the true nature of the kingdom of God. And in doing so, I think Christ is trying to accomplish two main things for us this morning. First of all, he wants us to join them in having realistic expectations 
about what it means to live in the kingdom of God in the here and now. Praise God, the kingdom has broken in, and it has changed our hearts. But yet, since Christ hasn't come back that second time, we can expect to be rejected, misunderstood, and maligned just as Jesus was. So listen, when you experience that, that should not tear down your faith. Rather, that should serve to reinforce your faith because First Peter says in 5.1 that we not only share in the glory of Jesus Christ, but a mark of a true believer is that we share in his suffering as well. So that should be really good news for any suffering friends that we have with us this morning. Secondly, this parable helps us to gauge whether or not we're actually believers of Jesus Christ. Um, As these soils are spoken of, understand they represent various conditions of the human heart. And Christ means for this parable to function as a test. He wants us to lay aside our hearts alongside these soils to listen to him to see if we're actually in the kingdom of God or not. And so church, the theme of this message is listening. So I'd encourage you, it would do us all well this morning to fight the temptation, to text your buddy, or to try to get on your brackets early. Listen, y'all, Selection Sunday is not till tonight. And to listen to this sermon, not because I'm preaching it, I could care less about that, but because I want you to listen intently to what the Spirit of God might say to you this morning. Can we do that? So as we get into the text, there's really just two big truths this morning. Number one, the kingdom of God comes subtly through God's sovereignty. And I'll unpack that. But the kingdom of God comes subtly or gradually through the sovereign working of God. And we see this in verses 1 through 3 and then 10 through 16. But let me start by reading again verse 3 and 9. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And verse 9 says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now we've got to stop and consider how striking this is. This is a parable about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Again, not just any kingdom, but the kingdom of our all-powerful, sovereign creator, God. But Jesus says, as this kingdom breaks in, it comes as a sower sowing seed. And he says we have to listen. If you think about it, this is striking and very underwhelming. That's not typically the way we expect kingdoms to come in. That's not how ancient kingdoms came in in their day. Kings like Alexander the Great, they established their kingdoms by coercion and force. Military leaders often wax eloquent and impose their will on people. And listen, y'all, I'm not getting political. This is not an endorsement one way or the other, okay? But Donald Trump came bounding onto the scene. Dirty blonde weave blowing in the wind saying what? Make America great again. He did not say, hey friends, could we quietly sip some tea together and discuss how the good old USA isn't what she used to be? He didn't come that way. He came forcefully. And that's what people are accustomed to. But Jesus says, no, wait a minute. The kingdom of God actually comes subtly with a lot more listening and a lot less speaking. So they expected a boulder, a hammer, but they got a seed. Now, and the reason they were confused is that it's so easy to overlook seeds because they're so small. That's why John the Baptist asked from prison, are you really the Messiah? It didn't make any earthly sense. It was a strange upside-down kingdom that Christ is articulating, that the last will be first, 
that people had to lose themselves to actually find salvation, that the true king came from heaven to earth to be conquered so that he could somehow conquer through that act? But what do we know about seeds? Dick, what do you know about seeds, my friend? You're a farmer. They're small and very underwhelming at first. But once they seep into the soil, they begin to completely transform a landscape, don't they? That's how the gospel works. So if you're a gardener, you get this. I recall serving on a mission trip in Chicago. We would go in, partner with a church planter, tough inner city area. In fact, many of the people that we served in that city, young people, have already been killed by gang violence and activity. And one way we tried to just get a hearing for the gospel was through neighborhood beautification. We would clean up parks and landscaping, pick up drug baggies, till the soil, sow seeds. And it didn't seem like that big of a deal when we left. But weeks later, the church planter would send pictures back. And it was amazing to see children flocking once again to parks, gardens springing up into the, the neighborhoods. It served as a morale boost to the community and a tangible expression of the love of Jesus. And so again, City Light, this parable stands for the word of God, and this is how the gospel works. It comes gently, unnoticeably sometimes by hearing, but as it is shared, it spreads. It takes root into human hearts. It transforms lives, and it even sometimes transforms entire cities and cultures, and it expands, continuing to transform every single thing it touches until someday when Christ comes back. And then the kingdom will no longer be invisible, but will be gloriously visible. And I love the way that Habakkuk 2.14 says it. He says, the earth will be filled with the glory and knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And so listen this morning. If you came in here heavy, if it seems like you're not getting much traction with your gospel efforts, understand that no matter what bad news CNN gives us, no matter how chaotic your circumstances might be, The kingdom of God will always march ahead even if we can't see it. Amen? Amen. The other thing I want to say to you is that your small gospel deposits, man, they matter so much. I mean, praise God for the elderly senior lady that taught us the keys to the kingdom of heaven when I was 10 years old in a vacation Bible school. Tiny, small deposits. She had no idea that on a Sunday in March I would be preaching the gospel in Omaha, Nebraska. So keep sowing seeds in your kids. Keep trying to make disciples in your neighborhoods and your network. You never know when God's going to suddenly spring in and water those little seeds and cause them to spring up into gospel fruition. And so the kingdom of God comes subtly. But in the next section, verses 10 through 16, it makes it clear that it will only come through God's sovereign involvement. So subtly, but through God's sovereignty. Now this section is important because here we also learn about the purpose of the parables of Jesus. So as you take in through your Bible reading all the different parables of Christ, you get a definition of what they're for here. So first of all, a parable is not just a bookstore down the road. It is a practical story that illustrates a spiritual truth practical story that gives illustration to a spiritual truth. But the parables weren't just cutesy stories. They actually served as an instrument of judgment to some. Now, notice this exchange in verses 10 through 13. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So the purpose of parables is twofold. First of all, Christ used them to reveal truth to people who believed. So for followers of Jesus, they serve to give us deeper insights into the kingdom of God, to, the, to make the gospel more clear to us, um, give us a greater understanding. But secondly, for the people who were, who were rebellious and hard-hearted, Christ used parables to hide the truth from them. He used parables to hide truth from those who are denying his teaching. So it's striking, but they actually served as a form of judgment. And in verses 14 and 15, he says the parables actually fulfill a prophecy of judgment that we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, it's kind of like the way that we treat rebellious little kids that might come in our house and try to get our candy drawers. You know, I'm talking about every good mom or dad has a candy stash hidden away somewhere. And then, now I don't have to do this with my son. He's too small, only four months old. He only likes milk right now. But if we have friends come over and rebellious kids are running around, we may say to our adult friends, hey, by the way, if you want a snack, we've got some C-A-N-D-Y in the D-R-A-W-E-R in the kitchen, right? So you're giving truth in a veiled way to people you're in fellowship with, but you're, you're hiding it from the rebellious people that would ransack your candy drawer, only want you for the good gifts you give and not for yourself, okay? It's how kids are. They have a sin nature. Now, City Light, here's the big takeaway. In our natural and sinful condition, our hearts are so hard and rebellious against our Creator God that we will never receive the gospel unless God moves in a sovereign way to open our hearts. The Bible makes it clear over and over again that even the faith we exercise was a gift from God. Jesus has to move. The Spirit of God has to work in us to give us what we see here is being called ears to hear. Now notice verse 11. He says, to you it has been given. It's a gift to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Then I thought of another place, Acts 16, 14, when Paul's out in his apostolic ministry, Here's what that verse says. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Here's the key. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. So God has to give us ears to hear in a sovereign way for us to even receive the gospel in the first place. So if you're here this morning and you're a believer, there's two main ways we should respond to this truth. First of all, you should praise God for your salvation. Man, we should never grow tired of the fact that Jesus, in a miraculous way, gave us ears to hear. Notice the blessing of salvation in verses 16 and 17. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people, they long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I mean, we should, again, routinely be filled with gratitude that the God of the galaxy opened our hearts to receive this revelation in Jesus Christ. 
It's a revelation that Old Testament saints, they long to look into. And so when we gather on Sundays, may we not gather in a flippant, kind of cold-hearted way. May we continually be struck with awe and wonder what the Heavenly Father has done in our hearts. Then secondly, if you're a believer, number two, you should be praying for God to open up the hearts of other people around you. If you've got dear friends, family members have not, that have not yet received the gospel deep down into their hearts, your first move should be to hit your knees and to beg God in a supernatural way, work in their hearts. Please give them ears to hear. Open them up to the truth of your word. You know, John, I was thinking about it this week as I prepped this message. This should actually be a primary component of our greeting ministry on Sunday mornings. Pastors, volunteers, people passing out the worship program. We should be silently praying for every single person that walks in that God would give them ears to hear his word. That they would receive the gospel when they come into this gathering. So the kingdom of God comes subtly and through God's sovereignty. But in Scripture, God's sovereignty is always balanced with mankind's responsibility, isn't it? So the second big truth we have here is that we have a responsibility for the gospel to personally impact our lives. So here's number two. We enter the kingdom by hearing and taking the gospel into our hearts. Number two, we enter the kingdom by listening. Again, it's not by good works. It's by listening, receiving, taking the gospel into our hearts. And we see this in verses 4 through 8, and then again in 18 through 23, where there's the interpretation of the parable. Now, to get some of the initial details of the story squared away, first of all, the sower, that's God. That's the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So he is the sower. And the seed is the message of salvation, the word of God. That's pretty clear. And then the soil is the human heart. And it's fascinating that that's the only variable in this equation. God is always the same. The gospel will never change, but we walk in this place, don't we? With a variety of conditions of our, of our hearts this morning. So the kingdom of God enters our lives simply by hearing and responding to the gospel, but Christ here will first warn us that there are faulty ways to listen. There are some wrong ways to actually hear the gospel. And he wants us again to lay our hearts alongside this diagnosis to make sure we've got it, that we're listening well, that we're actually in the kingdom. So here's the first warning. Number one, beware of listening with a hard heart. And so verse 4 says, And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Then verse 18, the interpretation here, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now during that time, Seeds were sown without the ground first being plowed or tilled up, a little bit different than our culture. And so the seed that got scattered that hit the rich soil of the field, well, it sunk down, it went deep. But it was inevitable that some of the seed would get cast on the beaten down footpaths that were hardened along the field's edges. And the seed could not seep down into those hardened footpaths. So what would happen, the birds would swoop down, seize their moment, get a cheap meal, and fly away with the seed. 
And Jesus is saying that, hey, there are some people listening to the gospel that their hearts are as hard as these walking paths. The word's being preached, it's being proclaimed. They've heard it, but yet they don't receive it. Their hearts are hardened. And then Satan comes along and steals away that little seed and it doesn't have the chance to sink down into their souls. So when I think about the hard-hearted person, first of all, to be really blunt, it's the person who doesn't give a rip about the gospel. You know, who could care less about Jesus Christ and his message of salvation. It means you're indifferent towards spiritual things. That you come with your family maybe, but you always check out during sermons. There's always something more enticing on social media. Um, You think that the Bible and cracking it is the most boring exercise on the face of the planet. I get it. I used to feel the same way. I still feel that way about Leviticus just a little bit. Jesus help me, but it's challenging. But again, this is the person that every sermon, every gospel attempt, you just shake it off. And you have to understand, though, that when that happens, spiritual warfare is actually taking place without you seeing it. That is actually the enemy, Satan, stealing away the seed from your heart. Or this could be the person for whom the gospel is merely theoretical. You're not actively opposed to it, but you're cold to the word of God. You come into regular contact with it, but it hasn't taken that journey from the head to the heart. It hasn't penetrated your soul. You come to church, but you're simply going through the motions trying to be more moral. But the word hasn't truly transformed you. The lights haven't yet come on yet in your heart. You don't yet see the gospel as beautiful or brilliant. When you see Daniel Bidney trying to land an airplane on Sunday mornings up here and people passionately worshiping the Lord, I love it, brother, go for it. You don't get that. Why are people so fired up? And so again, this is a warning that the person with a hard heart, they won't experience the kingdom of God. Number two, the second warning is listening with a shallow heart. These people too will not experience the kingdom. Verse 5 says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Well, this is the interpretation. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So again, this is the person that moves beyond the theoretical to some degree. They let the word get to their heart to some level, but the very moment, the very instant that suffering, tribulation, trials, pain arises, they fall away. Again, I get it. Suffering's incredibly difficult, and it seems like my wife and I are in an extended season of suffering, but a mark of a true believer is when trials hit, it'll be hard. It'll feel like at times you're hanging on by a thread, but you'll hang on because actually Christ is hanging on to you. And so, This is the people that when persecution arises, they fall away. And it could be that their faith was merely sentimental, emotional. You know, some people, they base all of their faith on an emotional experience as opposed to the settled word and work of Jesus Christ into their hearts. God should stir our affections, but our faith should not be built on simply how we feel. It should be based on the person and work of Jesus. So this could be the person who comes in, 
They get sugared up on donuts, hopped up on coffee, caffeine. They get transfixed by Willie's handsomeness, and they love to laugh at Chris's jokes. But then again, eventually, they fade away when the going gets tough. And they fade away because there was never true repentance to begin with. And I think Tim Keller, it's a tough quotation, but he says it well. When individuals fall away from the faith when suffering arises, it often reveals they weren't really in it for Christ after all. They were only trusting in him for the blessings he could bring. They were interested only in a blesser but not a savior. The things they actually worshipped were the things they lost in the heat. That's convicting. And so Jesus says, beware that the shallow-hearted person who hasn't truly repented, they won't see the kingdom of heaven. Then number three, another warning, beware of listening with a divided heart. And so verse 7 says, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then verse 22, and asked her what was sown among thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now this is the group, whether it's hard to tell whether or not they're really truly followers of Jesus. And the scholars here tend to differ as to what Christ is actually talking about. Believers that are struggling or non-believers, it seems that the soil isn't bad. There's some level of commitment, but the abundant life, it gets choked out by the thorns. And Jesus says the thorns are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. It's really any sinful desire that steals your affection away from Jesus, that steals your heart away from the gospel. As I meditated on this, I thought I could sum it up by saying this is the person who plays religious games, but they refuse to give Jesus every single aspect of their lives. They refuse to continually surrender every single component of their existence. So this could be the person that serves faithfully on Sunday mornings, maybe even on a serving team. But they refuse to surrender their sexuality to Jesus. They hold back when it comes to walking in purity. This could be the person that is faithful to gather together on Sundays during the cold months. But once summer hits, sorry Jesus, that's my lake day. I'm out of here. I'll see you in the fall. It might be the person that gives generously with their time, but yet they hold back financially. In essence, it's the person who draws a line in the sand and says, Hey, Jesus, this far, but no farther. Now, if this parable is referring to believers, and if the Spirit of God is helping you to see this morning, this describes you, you know, and I know because I've been there, this is not a sustainable position. Because the Spirit of God will make you absolutely miserable until you pry your fingers loose from every single thing you're holding back from Jesus. You know, I had to learn the hard way as a young man, through a lot of conviction, through a lot of trial, that true joy in this life is not obtained by holding back. It's by letting go and continually letting go and going all in with Jesus. So there's the three warnings. And then we see that the heart that goes all in is number four, the fruitful heart or the fruit-filled heart. And verse 23 again says, And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now this is the person who truly hears 
and understands the gospel. They listen intently and take the good news into their hearts. They turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, and they keep on trusting in Christ. They're allowing the gospel to be deeply implanted into their bones. Now, this is the only person here who can have confidence that they are entering the kingdom of God. And they can have confidence because that they have fruit in their lives. One thing that we see again and again and again in Matthew is that, you know, works, fruit, that is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit of our salvation. And the hope, the confidence that we have that we actually have entrance into the kingdom of God is we have spiritual fruit springing up in our lives. Some people will have more than other people, but all genuine believers should have fruit in their lives. And when Jesus says fruit, I think of two things. First of all, character transformation. And we can see this in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So these qualities will never be perfect in your life until you die and see Jesus face to face. But they have to be present to some degree. Not perfect, but present. So true saving faith is always transformative. It changes who we are. It changes us from the inside out. Secondly, when I think he's referencing fruit here, it's gospel multiplication. Healthy Christians will multiply themselves. If a person is listening intently to the gospel, if they're taking in the word of God, they can't miss the call of Jesus to hear and heed the Great Commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, it's challenging, I get that. Personal evangelism, disciple-making can be intimidating, but once we receive the seed of the word, we should have an impulse or a compulsion that other people should too also experience the gospel that we've come to experience. So authentic, fruit-filled Christians should have a desire that other people have the seeds sown in their hearts so that they too can experience the fruit that we've come to enjoy in our lives. Now, if you're here this morning and you're reflecting on your life, and if this message stings, if you're experiencing conviction and regret, you're saying, man, God's showing me that I've been hard-hearted. I've got a shallow heart. I've got a divided heart. And you're wrestling with that. You're troubled by that. I want you to know that that's actually a really, really good place to be in this morning. Because it means that the Spirit of God is active in your life. And he's helping you to see yourself in relationship to Jesus Christ. Conviction's good because it means he is cultivating your heart. He's cultivating your soil so that you might receive the gospel. And then verse 11 makes it crystal clear that salvation is not something we achieve. It's something that we receive. Think about it. Soil can't produce on its own. We need somebody to remove the thorns. We need somebody to take away the rocks so that we can regain a relationship with God. And understand, City Light, this is precisely what Jesus came to do. He serves as the great gardener in the hearts of humanity. You think about it, he lived the perfect life that we could never live. He bore our thorns on his brow as he hung on the cross. He died the death that we deserve to die. Then he was placed himself in a garden behind a large rock in a tomb. 
And three days later, he resurrected from that grave. And by doing so, he ensured a future resurrection for everybody who would trust their lives to him. So to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven, all you have to do is hear, heed the message, receive what Christ has done for you. Simply turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus, and he'll root out all that mess in your heart and replace that with his righteousness. So I plead with you this morning, if God's working in you, receive him. Allow his sacrifice to seep deep into the soil of your heart. And I would even implore you this morning and say, do it while you still have a chance. Now, I'm not typically a doom and gloom prophet, but I had a situation happen just two weeks ago that just reminded me that life is short and we need to take advantage of every moment we have to hear the gospel to respond. So I've been out of pocket a little bit. Two weeks ago, I found out that a dear friend of mine committed suicide down in Tennessee. You've prayed for this man before. This is a man that, you know, I grew up in a single-parent home. He actually dated my mom for like seven years when I was a kid. And though they broke up, it didn't work out. He and I stayed close, and we've been friends up until two weeks ago. He was 70 years old, and he had terminal lung cancer. And he always told me that, Cameron, I will never be put in a nursing home. I never want to be hooked up to a machine. So the moment that he began to be debilitated by that cancer, he made the tragic decision to end his life just two weeks ago. So I went and did his funeral. And so while that's tragic, the most tragic thing is that to the best of my knowledge, he never received Jesus Christ before he made that decision. Now, he heard the gospel over and over again. I've shared and I've prayed and I've pleaded with him. And even up until his dying day, there were men around him trying to sow the seed. But the best we can tell, he never truly heard the word and it never truly sank into his heart. And the tragedy is his chances ran out at that point. And what I want to say to you this morning is that someday our chances will run out too. In the big scheme of things, this life is very brief. But guess what? Today you're here And today, you still got breath in your lungs. God has given you one more chance. So that's why it's so imperative that the Spirit's dealing with you, that you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. If he has given you ears to hear this morning, I beg you, I plead with you, I implore you to turn from your sinful lifestyle and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Take the gospel deep into your heart, for this is the only way that you'll see the kingdom of heaven according to this parable. Let's stand together and pray. Have a time of response. Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you're a good God who was so gracious that you chose to reveal yourself to us, to frail people. And God, I'm thankful that you always give it to us straight, that the gospel is simple, it's clear, but it's necessary that we respond, God. And so this morning, I pray that the Spirit of God would search us out. And if we're a part of that camp of the faulty soils, may you draw us to salvation. Or God, if we're believers, if we're true, authentic believers, God, may we rejoice this morning and praise you with greater fervency even as we sing for the way you've opened our hearts to receive your word. God, my simple prayer this morning is that you would save somebody. It sounds old-fashioned, 
It's not in vogue in our culture. Would you bring somebody, though, from spiritual death to life in you? And we ask this in your name. Amen.